She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I'm joined again by Ms. Chloe Skye. Hi, Chloe. Hi. Glad to be back. Oh, I'm so glad to have you back. Chloe and I are here wrapping up Pride Month. Actually, technically, this episode is airing outside of June, but because I kind of started the whole month with a replay of an old episode, I was like, no, I'm still going to do another trans broad because I feel like we need more episodes on trans broads because we haven't, we have literally not done enough episodes on this podcast about trans bras. So, Chloe, I'm really excited to bring you today another, dare I say, iconic trans rights broad, who you probably know the name of, and I feel like I've previewed that I'm going to be talking about her, but have you heard or know anything about Sylvia Rivera? I have heard of Sylvia Rivera. I don't know much about her story outside of the fact that uh, she and Marsha P. Johnson were friends. They both, they you know, were. marched and like started Pride and whatnot. And she basically credits Marsha for saving her life at one point, like when they met. That it like kind of. Anyway, I don't want to skip ahead too far because it's sure, a sure, story. Sure. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But much like Marsha, she was also potentially present at the Stonewall in riots in um, 1969. So she was there at the forefront of the gay rights movement, the gay liberation movement. There's many, you know, different names for the movement, but she was certainly amongst the midst of it, whether or not, you know, she was there. And she also, like, had a long, long, long history of activism. So I'm really excited to dig into her. I'm just going to kick it off. Sylvia Rivera was born July 2nd, 1951 in the Bronx, New York City. She was born assigned male. Her heritage was Puerto Rican and Venezuelan. So she was a, a Latina broad. Shortly after she was born, her father abandoned the family. And when she was just three years old, tragically, her mother committed suicide. In an interview later, she said, quote, my mother was 22 when she decided to off herself. She was having a shaky second marriage. He threatened to kill her and my sister. I was three years oof, old. Oof. And so Sylvia comes under the care of her grandmother. But her grandma was very vocal, unfortunately, about not only her disapproval of Sylvia's mixed race and that she had like darker skin than she would prefer her grandchildren to have, but she also highly disapproved of Sylvia's, quote, effeminate behavior. Like from a very young age, Sylvia was trying on clothes and experimenting with makeup, things like that. And her grandmother fucking hated it and was mm -hmm. and did not even hide, try, not even try to hide it. And then at one point, I don't know the, the year of it, but her birth dad comes and takes away her half-sister, who her grandmother was also watching. Um, and then her grandmother hates her, Sylvia, even more. The beatings from her grandmother, because her grandmother was like beating her, like get more <sighs> frequent. <laughs> and these, these, quote, effeminate behaviors also meant that Sylvia was also pretty mercilessly mocked and in fights at school with the other kids. Um, she started wearing makeup in fourth grade, and that made everything worse. She just, like, got made on, wailed on worse and worse. And all this time, you know, she's staying at her grandmother's 
or she's kind of a Catholic boarding school, or she's also like staying at different relatives' houses. Like she, she doesn't have a stable situation, right? Um, and then also at some point in these years, and I'm not really clear about the dates of all these. I did the best I could with dates in, in the whole story, but there's some sections that feel blurry. But um, at some point, she also begins engaging in sex work to earn some extra money. And apparently alongside her uncle, mm. like I think... I got the impression that her uncle was doing sex work to make money and and then she like joins him or is taught by him or something on on how to do it. Interesting. I didn't get the sense that he was like diddling her or something like that. Right. But it was more just like he and he was more like a a mentor than like a pimp. I, I got the sense of that. Like I didn't get a vibe of something else. But I also I'll just say I did. There wasn't a lot of information about that. Um, Okay. I mean, if so he was a we don't know gay man sure. around the same time, then it would have been like a sort of like, well, this is what we have to yeah. do to survive. So I guess I mean, I'll teach the you. sources didn't even say that he was gay. Like, I don't know if he was doing sex work straight. Oh, or doing true, you know what fair. I mean? Like, yeah. so I don't even know. It was pretty common. So that would make sense. Yeah. Super common. But anyway, um, so all that starts to happen at some point in Sylvia's life. And then in sixth grade, she's, I believe, 11 ish. If that sounds right. All the bullying she has going on at school kind of culminates in her being called the F word. Um, I don't like to say that one out loud, so I'm just going to not. Yeah, that's fair. And Sylvia has like just kind of had it. It puts her over the edge and she quits school and she leaves home. At 11. At 11 years old. Oh, it's devastating. It's devastating. At the same time for an 11 year old, she's also living a lot of horrific things in her like she's. One of those weird grown up babies, right? Where she's yep, yep. doing sex work already, like, and she's, you know. Yeah, it's terrifying. It, it, it's, it is terrifying and it's very sad. So anyway, she heads directly to 42nd Street in New York. She was already, she was born in the Bronx. So she always, she already was in New York, but she officially kind of leaves home and doesn't go back to her grandmother and all that shit. Um, and at this time, at this period in time, um, 42nd Street is kind of like the gayborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's where like, all of the drag queens and sex workers and everybody in like the the New York gay community is kind of like hustling and bustling in that area. Um, and when she arrives, uh, she's kind of adopted by this group of young drag queens who also, I think the drag queens are the ones who give her her name, Sylvia. She decides it will be her name too if they didn't just like force it on right, her. Right, right. <laughs> um, and her new kind of found family really quickly kind of helps her learn how to like survive and adapt in this environment. Mm-hmm. So they would teach her things like, you know, changing your sleeping location every night and like which bars are okay to hang out in that like which are safer and which are less safe, et cetera, et cetera. Also, this is a side note that came up in my research. Did you know that mafia run bars were often some of the safest places for queer folks to hang out in. I did not know that. <laughs> I, I would not, not have thought that. that. No, I wouldn't have guessed that either. But apparently, at least at least one of the sources said that a lot of the places they would hang were mafia-run bars. It does make sense that they would be safe from cops. Yes. Because, like, cops are not going to go true. mess around in a mafia bar. And also, I mean, if you're not, like, openly or visibly queer in any way, the mafia is not coming after you either. So, like, yeah, I guess that actually does make sense. And also, you know, the people who probably frequent those bars know their mafia bars and don't want to start trouble because they don't want to end up, you know, sleeping with the fishes. Exactly. 
But I didn't even think about that. And then I was yeah. like fascinated to learn that. <laughs> and one of these safe places, of course, not to fast forward too quickly, but Stonewall Inn would, would, was one of these bars that was like a safe place, right, for, for people in the community. So Sylvia, before Stonewall, before these things bu- start to bubble that are these bigger events, she's already kind of a, got this activist mindset. She gets involved with both Puerto Rican and some of the, the black youth activism that's going on. She works with um, a group called the Young Lords. She works with the Black Panthers. Nice. And there was a quote from her in interviews later that she said, quote, before gay rights, before Stonewall, I was involved in the Black Liberation Movement, the Peace Movement. I felt I had the time and I knew I had to do something. My revolutionary blood was going back then. I was involved with that, end quote. And then in 1963 is when she meets Marsha P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. And in one of the the articles I was reading, um, she talked about how she felt like Marsha really saved her life. I should also say, I'm not dwelling a lot on this throughout this episode, but like Sylvia definitely has a long history, part of it like with her street history of substance abuse. Um, So she struggled with that her whole life. Gosh, I can't imagine why. Right. And she has a lot of ups and downs. And she'll be really active, and then she'll disappear, and then she'll do... Like, this This was kind of like a, a repetitive thing. I'm not kind of noting it in the histories here. I'm kind of, like, just hitting the main points. But mm-hmm. at the point when she meets Marsha, I think is one of the low points. She's in one of her, her big addiction cycles. And I think meeting Marsha kind of helps pull her out of that and, and bring her more into a little bit less risk behavior. And she says, quote, she was like a mother to me. Well, fast forward a little bit. That was 63 when they meet. They become friends. And then in 1969 is when the Stonewall Inn riots happen. Much like Marsha's story, there's like various different camps that are like, Mm -hmm. Marsha and Sylvia were there and through the first bricks. Mm -hmm. And then some people were like, no, they were uptown. They were were blocks away. They didn't even show up. Of course, (laughs) yeah. It is hard it's hard to navigate these stories, but there's quite a few quotes. One of the articles about it said, Sylvia shouted, quote, I'm not missing a minute of this. It's the revolution. She shouted to her lover on the morning of June 28, 69. <laughs> um, and, then, and then she was quoted with saying later, quote, well, I did not throw the first Molotov cocktail of the night. I did throw the second. <laughs> and so whether or not she was there or wasn't, um, she definitely was incredibly involved in all of kind of the writing that happened around and immediately after it. And and apparently for like six days after the Stonewall riot, she was resisting arrest and she was leading protests in the street and she was loud about it. And she was kind of kind of in the front around the same time. And I, I hope I get this right, because this is the stuff that uh, timeline wise, I feel um, the least confident about in terms of like not timeline wise, but in terms of kind of understanding how all of these unfolded around the Stonewall riots basically are this catalyst event that starts to put gay rights onto the map. Mm-hmm. And there begins to be a more organized movement on, on behalf of the, the gay and adjacent communities to actually get legislation passed to help give them the right, like, you know, so that they won't be discriminated against by the police uh, amongst many things um, to, to make their lives safer. Right. And then these groups start to come together that will be leading these movements. Um, And one of them is called the Gay Liberation Front, the GLF. And then um, the second organization is called the Gay Activist Alliance. 
the GAA. Um, and these become kind of the primary like gay rights organizations. But apparently, like around the, they're doing all these protests, they're in the streets, and apparently Marsha comes to Sylvia and tells her about the GLF that's, that's forming, the, the Gay Liberation Front. And Sylvia was like, hell yeah, I want to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. And she becomes, some of the articles call her or acknowledge her as a co-founder of that organization. And immediately these groups are starting to work on a gay anti-discrimination ordinance that would eventually, uh, I believe, be known as the New York State Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act. So that's what would be known eventually. And it actually takes, like, by the way, I didn't know this, 17 years for this shit to officially pass. They, like, actually were fighting for that for a really long time. But anyway, there's all these like really great stories. If you like research Sylvia, there's all these great stories of the stuff that she did like in these moments to try to push the legislation through. And apparently uh, at one point, the GAA decided to attend a meeting of the Greenwich Independent Democrats to bring a petition that they were circulating for the, the gay rights bill. And after a councilwoman leading the meeting continuously refused to even look at the peti- petition, Sylvia marches up to the front of the meeting and she hits the councilwoman over the head with the petition. Oh my God. <laughs> At one point, she's also arrested for climbing the walls of City Hall in a dress and high heels to try to crash a closed-door meeting that was happening about the bill. <laughs> she wow. was, like, right at the front of it. She was loud, and she wanted to be a part of it. Sylvia says, quote, We were the frontliners. We didn't take no shit from nobody. We had nothing to lose. Uh, and then also, quote, We didn't stop. We weren't afraid. We were not going to be oppressed anymore. Now, at the same time, all this legislation is, like, starting to bubble. Sylvia's kind of in real time experiencing discrimination within the movement against mm-hmm. drag queens and trans individuals. Um, and there was one historian who says that, like, so there's one historian that says, quote, Sylvia was from the wrong ethnic group, from the wrong side of the tracks, wearing the wrong clothes, managing single-handedly and simultaneously to embody several frightening overlapping categories of otherness. And this otherness would continue to plague Sylvia as she navigated the territory of these organizations. What I'm kind of like grossly summarizing, because there's a lot of like really specific things that kind of happen that mm-hmm. I don't feel well educated enough to kind of like really specify here, but the organizations kind of become, at least the GLF starts to become more conservative and they start to kind of cut out trans people and language about trans people and drag Mm -hmm. queens out of the legislation that's being passed. And they start doing like closed door meetings and they like don't invite Sylvia. And I'm sure they're cutting out people of color as well. That's well, absolutely. And she was all these things, right? So she's a Latina and she's, and Marsha was black, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't want these women to be the face of the movement. And so Eventually, they like end up having like a backroom deal where the, the final legislation is worked out. But all of the language that Sylvia had been like fighting to include is omitted from it. And there's a really, really famous quote from this time period. Uh, and I think it's like right after one of these closed door meetings where she says, hell hath no fury like a drag queen scorned. 
I skipped ahead a little bit. Like what I just talked about, like happens over the period of decades, right? Like mm-hmm. first a couple years and then it ends up becoming over decades. Now, in the meantime, the part I don't want to skip over is that also around this time that the GLF and the GAA are, are starting to rally around this legislation, Marsha and Sylvia found Star House the Street Transvestite mm-hmm. Action Revolutionaries, um, which was an organization to support transgender people. Sylvia says, quote, Marsha and I fought for the liberation of our people. We did a lot back then. We did sleep in the streets. Marsha and I had a building on 2nd Street, which we called Star House. When we asked the community to help us, there was nobody to help us. We were nothing. We were nothing. And then there's also a quote where she says, like, the reason they founded Star House was that she worried about, quote, kids who started to hustle on the streets as she had at age 10 or 11, and within a few years were dead from a stabbing or an overdose or were locked into dead-end lives. So they start, so they form this organization, and Star House also becomes one of the voices, like, in the the fight for the legislation they like become an organization that supports that and and leads to that and that's like basically the inspiration for pose right because all all of this sort of stuff is like a lot of the storylines on that show i think so i feel you know after our conversation the last couple weeks i feel like there's several different inspirations for for pose definitely yes when i first read these stories it rang to me as like that's oh that's pose but, you know, basically they were feeding and clothing homeless queer youth and they were helping them through substance abuse, becoming their families, really. Mm-hmm. And it, there just wasn't anything that existed to help these kids. So basically, Sylvia right. was helping the younger versions of herself, right? Because that's what she had gone through herself. And Marsha, too. That's what it takes. Matter. That's what it takes. Exactly. So Star House is a part of kind of this whole situation. And then fast forward to 1970, when the first gay pride parade happens and the the gay rights movement has kind of picked up some steam like after stonewall this is only the a year after stonewall by the way so i Mm -hmm. kind of skipped some time around there in 1970 the gay rights movement did not want transgender people to be a part of the parade in 73 sylvia joins up with the pride march but she was forbidden from speaking at it and she's like pissed about it. So she grabs a microphone and she says, quote, if it wasn't for the drag queen, there would be no gay liberation movement. We're the frontliners. And she was booed off stage. Like, actually, this is the same speech that she does that's called, at the Christopher Street Liberation Day, which I think is the same as the Gay Pride Parade. I think those two things are the same, Gay Pride and the Christopher Street yeah, Liberation it, it, Day rally. I think are the same event, but I can't say are. for sure. It, it evolved into Pride over time but it started as just like the anniversary celebrating stonewall and then it just became pride and pride month wasn't even officially pride month until fairly recently i can't remember i think it was it might have been bill clinton who officially made pride month pride month like towards the end of his presidency Jeez. so like wow. yeah it, it was it was a long sort of journey yeah. So Sylvia and Marsha are like specifically omitted from this, from I think the first couple parades. And in 73, they're like allowed to be there. They're not allowed to talk. She takes the mic. She says the quote I just said. And then she also, this is a speech that's like in the history books known as the y'all better quiet down speech. Um, and it's kind of like her biggest famous speech. Um, and it goes, quote, you all tell me go and hide my tail between my legs. I will no longer put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? 
What the fuck's wrong with you all? Think about that. And she's booed off the stage. And apparently, and sadly, it kind of like, I think the being so disheartened by being omitted by everybody and being pushed out by the gay liberation movement kind of sends her into another like substance abuse tailspin. And she actually the following year attempts suicide. She doesn't succeed, but she eventually leaves New York City. She moves to Terrytown, New York. She works in like food service. And she just does like some little local stuff for a long time. And then she does move back to New York City in the early 1990s. So she takes kind of like a decade off after that disappointment. Mm -hmm. She's living on a pier in West Village. And then, of course, uh, people with like whip smart memories will remember that in 1992, Marsha's body is found in the Hudson River. And that's also really rough for Sylvia. They were really close friends. In uh, 1994, it was the 25th anniversary of the Stonewall Inn March. I'm pleased to say that Sylvia was given a place of honor at that march. Well, that's nice. And there's nice. like a little bit of a reconciliation with the movement and the organizations and Sylvia. Um, and there's a quote from her that year. She says, quote, the movement had put me on the shelf, but they took me down and dusted me off. Still, it was beautiful. I walked down 58th Street, and the young ones were calling from the sidewalk, Sylvia, Sylvia, thank you. We know what you did. Mm-hmm. After that, I went back on the shelf. It would be wonderful if the movement took care of its own, but don't worry about Sylvia. So I think she, even though she was brought back and recognized, she still felt a little bit kind of left behind yeah. by everything that happened. In 1995, she's obviously still struggling through a lot of these issues, and she, she attempts suicide again by walking into the Hudson River the same river they found Marsha in. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. she does seem to make kind of a bounce back towards the end of her life. In 1997, she goes on to found Transy House in Park Slope, Brooklyn, in honor of Marsha, she said. Um, And she starts to kind of get active again. She starts working at a food pantry with the Metropolitan Community Church of New York. And she started giving more speeches about trans rights. Uh, In 2000, she travels to Italy for the Millennium March. And she is announced there as, quote, the mother of all gay people. And then in 2001, she brings back Star House. Or she tries to kind of revitalize. At that point, Star House had kind of been inactive for the time she was away. And so she tries to kind of revive it uh, and, and bring it back. Uh, she fought against the exclusion of trans people in the Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act of 2002. And she ends up meeting a woman, Julia Murray, who becomes kind of her life partner and her chosen family. And they live in Transy House. Um, and then in February of 2002, Sylvia dies of, of complications from liver cancer. She was 50 years old. She was only 50 years old. After all these things I've said, she was only 50 fucking years old. Yeah, I guess I forgot the story started when she was 11. So it makes sense that I was like, oh, she's probably in her 70s at this point. Like, no, no, actually. Yeah. Goodness. And her legacy is huge. Like, she, you know, she's widely recognized as kind of this igniter of certainly trans rights, but also gay rights at this point. She's, they've been kind of like reconnected the circle. In 2002, the year of her death, the Sil- Sylvia Rivera Law Project was founded. 
Um, and it's a legal aid organization that, quote, works to guarantee all people are free to self-determine gender, identity, and expression, regardless of income and race, and without facing harassment, discrimination, or violence. Um, so it's basically a law organization helping gay, trans, and gender-fluid people access legal services, which we all know today is huge. It's pretty Because um, not having needed. access to legal services cuts you off from, from so much if, if you can't have that. Yeah. Also, uh, Sylvia is the only transgender person that is included in the National Portrait Gallery at the Smithsonian. Mm. Um, you got to get those numbers up. She also, by the way, um, she, she was in one of Andy Warhol's portfolios as well, Ladies and Gentlemen. She's in um, that series. So I huh. have to, I'll have that picture up on the website so y'all can look it up and, That's and cool. see that as well, as well as all these other great pictures of Sylvia. Um, and obviously her legacy goes beyond like just these couple bullet points, but she is quite the amazing activist. I don't know. What do you feel like? Do, is this the story you knew or what, did anything surprise you? Um, I don't think anything surprised me really. I mean, it's, it's similar to Marsha P. Johnson's story and it's similar to, a lot of the stories I know about, you know, just like what it was like to be trans at that time and in that place, like it all kind of checks out. I like hearing like how active she was and how much she like fought for and like took it on herself to found organizations to like help other people like her and, you know, keep kids safe and keep people off the streets, especially like, you know, there's this whole rhetoric movement happening that gay and trans people are the ones who are abusing all these kids when actually they're the only oh ones like saving them from having been abandoned by their families or their churches or whatever it's it's interesting to like when we talk about like organizations and aid organizations a lot of people that start their start those organizations i feel like have access to things like funding and like you know things that help their organization grow and marcia and sylvia did not Mm-hmm. They were from kind of the poorest, most like downtrodden segments of of like class and society, like as trans women, as non-white women, like mm-hmm. they were at the like the shittiest part of life that people, at least in the U.S., are are forced to suffer, and yet they still like started this organization to help other women in the same situation, not just women too. I, they didn't just help women. Uh, obviously we cover women and we focus on women in this podcast, but they were covering, you know, they, they supported all trans kids and even just gay, just gay kids, you know, and, yeah, and kids yeah. who didn't have a home, kids who were on the street. I'm just amazed by them. I always say to myself like, well, if I had money, I could do, I could do this. I could do that if I had money. And then you mm-hmm. meet and you hear these stories and you're like, actually, you don't even need to have money to make a difference in somebody's life and to help them up. You just need a drive and a desire and you'll figure it out. Yeah. And I wonder, it always makes me wonder and makes me a little sad, like if they were, had been able to connect with people who were more people of means that could have maybe helped supported Starhouse better, like how much more good they could have even done and like what. Yeah. Well, it, it, the work is still carrying forward. Like all that stuff is still going on today. So hopefully there's more money involved. And I mean, the services keep getting better. So yeah, the work continues. Yeah. But Mama Sylvia, she was there on the front lines and she was, I think she might have even been louder than Marsha. I feel like there's more quotes from about from her and from her mouth at all these rallies than I found mm-hmm. when I did my research on Marsha, which is hilarious because Marsha was pretty, was pretty loud too, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sylvia was louder. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm honestly surprised I haven't seen her name mentioned as much as Marsha P. Johnson's, but... I know. You know, I think it has something to do with, like, the substance abuse part of her life. It's very easy for certain people to completely write off anyone who ever had issues with drugs as, like, a moral failing and therefore a person not worthy of being listened to. Yeah. Well, it's the same reason, like, you know, when we covered a lot of broads on, like, the civil rights movement, even, like, the Norma McCorvey, like, how they pick and choose mm-hmm. who's going to be the front face of the movement mm-hmm. and and how they choose... A lot of respectability politics. The squeakiest, cleanest image to, because they think it will... I don't even know if they're wrong. Like, I don't even know if the desire to kind of, like... They're wrong, obviously, to exclude people, but, like, when it comes to, like, okay, we need this to succeed... If we're trying to convince as many people as possible who are maybe on the fence about this issue, we need to have the, I guess, but it's frustrating, but I understand why it's done. It's super frustrating. I don't know what the answer is about that. Like, I don't think it's, like, a clean black and white, like, right or wrong type of thing. No, I mean, ideally, we would just support everyone and hope that you know we get to a point in our society where we accept that people are people and deserving of help regardless of whatever mistakes they may have made or decisions their life forced them to make yeah Yeah, i don't yeah i don't know that there's a concrete answer either dang i thought you were gonna have an answer for me (laughs) i'm so sorry i can't solve this (laughs) issue for you tonight Uh, no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding But it's always worth discussing because it is. It's so complicated. And, you know, when I was like a kid, I remember, Chloe, I, I thought like everything was black and white and there's a right and a wrong and a good and a bad. And, you know, the more I have like gotten older and learned more, the more you're just like, wow, that's not true. It's amazing how learning things adds nuance. Yeah. And I remember even like passing judgment on people like when I was younger. and oh, being like, yeah. well, They're wrong. They're obviously yep. wrong. They're obviously just a bad person. And now, like, learning, like, oh, God, like, there's all sorts of reasons, not excuses for people and bad behavior, but, like, it's it's so complicated. And, I mean, the splitting of the gay liberation movement and, like, the exclusion of trans people from that movement, like, somehow I think those guys thought they were doing the right thing. Well, and I think we also kind of know now, well, at least I feel like I know now that, like, this, this splintering of minority groups is actually a tactic of the patriarchy. Like, 100%. let's make them fight within themselves. And so their pow- their collective power is diminished and they, they have less fighting power. And like, that is a tactic. Whether or not the people that participate in the patriarchy know it, when they try to sow discontent like that amongst minority groups, it's like... It does. It weakens the movement and it, it weakens the strength and the power. And so and I think they're I think they're very aware of that. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah, because it is. It's I think still the people in power now. are aware of it. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, this didn't happen particularly in Sylvia's story, but like we have all these historical like documentation of like the government literally like planting people to like sow seeds of like discontent amongst groups and trying to cause mm-hmm. infighting like that is mm-hmm. a thing that happened it happened in the civil rights movement it happened in even like the the women's liberation movement like it's like it's fucking nuts anyway well that was sylvia was she a good broad she's a great broad yes thank you for bringing the story to me my queer knowledge continues to grow and i am all the more powerful for it so thank you oh well thanks as always for being here and and being my listening buddy Happy to. 
To learn more about Sylvia Rivera, see pictures of her and quotes from this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me and Chloe. Our bios, photos, links to all of our cool stuff, all right there. Have you followed Broads You Should Know on social yet? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends or family, or better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, give a listen to some of the episodes of Trans Broads we have covered on this podcast. We've got Marsha P. Johnson, who supposedly threw the first brick at the Stonewall Riots. We've got Christine Jorgensen, widely thought to be the first trans woman in the United States. And Alexia Salvador, the first transgendered pastor in Latin America. Then come back next week for another trans broad you should know. They were like best friends and she credits Martha for like saving her life, kind of. Marsha P. Johnson? Marsha. Marsha P. Johnson. Sorry, did I say Martha? You did. She, she It's all right. It's all good. They were best friends, and she credits Martha. Fuck, I said it again. <laughs>